0: It's Tony Nash here with Plugged and Unplanned, and I have author Jane Mara with me, the author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, The Mindset of Success, and I have her brand new book in my hand, uh, an author of another book called Intuition on Demand. This is our second session, and welcome back, Jane. Thank you. So we, we had a good start there. I am curious uh, to know, because you did say something previously that... Uh, I've noticed for myself, Mm. and that is some of my greatest um, ideas have been on a plane. All
1: right, okay. Because
0: I kind of feel like I've got this higher perspective or viewpoint. I guess Mm. um, it kind of, I'm above the planet, I guess, but
1: being in the clouds, yeah. uh,
0: But it's also like when you take a, a bit of a macro view of things. Uh, that then gets, um, for whatever reason, I've been able to get better insights. Um, mm. Do you? And I'm very spatially orientated, so mm. uh, which surprises you know, people like my wife, where mm. I can know um, when she might say east and she'll point in one direction. I go, uh, well, that's west, um, and <laughs> so I know where things are. Mm. Do you think? Have you noticed things about entrepreneurs that they're very spatially orientated, or is that just one modality that one person has? and others have you noticed anything about different kind of ways that people do think hmm. that helps kind of access the the these new ideas
1: hmm. yeah very interesting point so um, i interviewed some entrepreneurs in this book and uh, two things about that we touched on in the last session about you know not my Point about not pushing through, and one of the um, people I interviewed in this book had been running a very successful business, but he was really pushing through. And as he well admitted, he was addicted to adrenaline, and he literally, after a couple of years, of really pushing through, establishing a very successful health corporate health and wellness business uh, in the city with a city clinic, and they had practitioners and doctors and so on. And then he also sold that into corporate clients, so that they could, you know, have health checks on site and so on. So, um, he literally had a health breakdown, and he had to take a giant step back, and he started then to understand the difference between actually acting you know as a human being without all that cortisol running through his system so. No. Very, very important. Um, But in terms of how other people do it, another guy I interviewed here, again, serial entrepreneur, has a unique technique, I think, where he literally... He calls it emptying his brain. And he empties his brain of every single thing that's ever in there. He's known for strategy and analysis and being very good strategically. So he's brought into businesses and to government to say, we've got this major problem and we can't get anybody to fix this. So they bring in Simon. And off he goes and he just involves himself fully in all of the data, but also then takes some time with it, lets it sink, if you like. And he does things like qigong and tai chi-type, you know, practice and a bit of yoga, and he just gets extremely focused. Mm-hmm. And so we know now, Tony, that focus is such a key thing today because people are so distracted. So in the past we used to be able to hold what they estimated five to seven uh, things in conscious memory now we're holding more like three or four which is really really dangerous it's gone down and the reason for that is because people are distracted and they're less focused and they're jumping between things so again going back to the best way that an entrepreneur can act is actually really focus on one thing at one time not doing 10 things at once which is often what you see particularly in some of the startup hubs that i've been visiting around that. It's interesting because I get to do a lot of
0: uh, public speaking now as part of um, being on the circuit and it mm. could be 3,000 people in the audience or 50 people in the audience and I do share uh, because they want to, obviously they know about the Booktopia story yeah. yeah. build a very large company off, off a $10 note, it's very uncommon mm. and I guess it's what a lot of entrepreneurs are planning for their own execution of their ideas Yeah, but I do share with them my credentials, of which mm. I got fifty six percent in my hSC, yeah. I went to university where I mastered in space invaders and snooker <laughs> <Love it. laughs> apparently, I cannot sing one note in tune in a whole song. I, oh, I found that out okay. from my wife and uh, and i um, and i I've been bankrupt as well. Mm. I tell them you know I tell them mm. that so, so you've
1: really seen both sides
0: yep. And the last thing I'll say to them as part of my credentials is that a year and a half ago I found out that I have ADHD and have lived lived with it all my life. Mm. And so I'm on Ritalin now and it helps me to to focus.
1: Mm.
0: Is there, I'm curious, because I believe ADHD is actually a, a superpower it can
1: be for some people. Because
0: yeah. it gives me the ability to... The thing about ADHD is, is, that, is that you really focus on what you want to do mm. and you don't do the things that you don't want to do. So when exactly. I f- went and saw the psychiatrist for the first time mm. um, and, I, and, and he asked me about Booktopia, well, he asked me about my life, you know, what mm. I've done and travel and sport and all these things and Booktopia and it's huge success. And he says, there's no way you have ADHD. I mean it's impossible, <laughs> right?
1: I think it's helped you, Tony.
0: Right? And so, he, he goes he, and he said to me, I mean think look at it. you accomplished so much. I said, but before I make my final decision, could I have your wife come in? I just would like to have a chat with her. So <laughs> Kath came in with me and we sat down and after 20 minutes of talking to her, he looks at me and says, "You definitely have ADHD." Because with ADHD, it's you do what you want to do and you don't like doing what you don't want to do. Mm. So in terms of running a company and running a business, which is your passion and what you want to do, Mm. um, is there and are there certain types of um, mental health conditions that you have had a chance to observe or notice or maybe because of the level that you're operating operating at, you don't get to see that too often. But Mm. have you heard of certain uh, mental health conditions Mm. which actually – um, are a, an asset in terms of entrepreneurship and being able to be uh, be successful because it's interesting, when I do my public speaking, the one thing after, I mean, people come up and say thank you and all those kind of things, but the one thing I hear the most of is around their mental health issues that they're dealing with or that their family are dealing with or their partner or their friends are dealing with. It's So when I share that, uh, it's obviously much more prevalent than people think, yeah. and they and by opening up and sharing with others, and then all of a sudden it makes it commonplace. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I think I'm curious to know, yeah. um, from your perspective, because you're meeting a lot more people than I am, do you see that at all? Do you see any certain conditions?
1: I found some research some years ago that said there was a linkage between ADHD and intuition.
0: Ah, oh, is that right? Yeah.
1: So, But that hasn't been drilled into in a great deal of depth, so that we do know... And this is the other thing for you too, Tony. CEOs, the more you climb up the ladder, according to the academic research, um, use more and more of their intuition. Right. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. But um, in terms of mental health aspects, there has been some a recent study done by KPMG in Australia about um, founders' health because it's a, a major worry because something like 57% of them have stated mental health issues. This was kind of um, a small sample, like less than 100 Done in the last uh, couple of years around startups. And, you know, the working through obviously isn't serving people. Well, 75% had expressed at different times a level of depression and anxiety. So, yeah, I mean, okay, the general population has quite a high level of anxiety, stated concerns as well. However, um, I think the nature of what an entrepreneur does can lead more to that. Those types of things, for example, the working relentless hours, the striving, you know, the passion, as I was talking about this fellow earlier who had the burnout. I mean, he was just doing crazy, crazy hours. He was doing it at the same time. He'd come from a personal fitness background anyway. He was doing extreme sports. As he said to me in this, everything I did was full on. Mm -hmm. He said, and then I had three to four industrial strength coffees a day. And he said, and I didn't need those at all. So So that was sort of how he went into Mm. the decline. It was only when he got to the decline. So I think there is a problem coming up for entrepreneurs. And I've developed a program around that called Self-Care for Founders. Deliberately, oh, is that right? yeah, okay. deliberately around that to say this is what you can do. Having said that, I've also worked a lot with corporate clients, and one of the best things that I do with them at first is I might say, um, "That's just time you're breathing." How, you know, how many breaths are you taking in a minute? And you'd be surprised because half of them are hyperventilating.
0: Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: I had a guy who was champion swimmer, less than tw- less than thirty at the time, and that's what he was doing. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Hmm. See, for me, um, not that everyone has mental health issues, but everyone has m- mental health. So hmm. we've all got brains. Hmm. We're always thinking. So therefore, there's, there's, um, there's always something going on in the head. Sure. Um, <laughs>
1: it's that, but trying to turn that off and knowing what's healthy about turning that off hmm. and when to stop is the key. And when you're passionate about something, you do want it. you know, it's there with you. It's like I've found Tony twice writing a book. It's there with you the whole time. It doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It just lives with you. Because you can be doing something entirely unrelated, like cooking dinner or something. Think, oh, just put that there. And, you know, well, what about I think about that? Are there, I mean, for me, having
0: done so poorly at school and then being successful in business, it does mm-hmm. sometimes just being aware of what's going on and answering kind of those, those kind of those unanswered questions of why do I do that or why do I always do that or why why how can I work and then have an iPad movie going on at the same time or have music going whereas whereas my wife couldn't concentrate at all it would drive her crazy mm. so I need to have those extra stimulants. So going. do you do that? You yeah,
1: have about three things, three or four things. I can have
0: two. I could have, I could be yeah. working very easily and effectively but with a movie in the background because that's what ADHD does It' mm. um, there's a, there's, your brain is 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 very active mm. and um, uh, and I I recently have taken up doing crosswords just before I go to sleep
1: oh <laughs> <Because, laughs> I'd be telling you the opposite <laughs> because it
0: settles my brain really? I'm focusing on one thing two, and, one and then I notice I'm getting really tired and I put I put the you know I put the downturn off the line mm. and I'm asleep the the thing is, though, is that I mostly have been able to sleep really well yeah. through my entrepreneurial career. I, I don't have stuff coming up and kick me up at night.
1: Yeah, you don't wake up at 3 in the morning and stuff I don't. Night.
0: I don't. I just – I can turn off and you wake up and you get mm. going. And when you've been doing it for so long, it's part of – not intuition, but it's just part of, I guess, uh, the, um, the kind of ca- calibrating for the work that you do. Mm. You've got to – you've got to be able to realize that that there's the ebb and flow. You you showed me that graph before, things going up and down. Things Mm. go up and down. Sure. And and by realizing that happens, you just relax and kind of go with the flow. Sometimes Mm. things work in your favor, sometimes things don't. But don't swim against the tide because um, Mm. it's... It's no, there's no point. You just surrender to what's going on for you at that moment.
1: I wanted to ask you a question about something you said earlier. Where do you get your best ideas aside from being on, in the plane? Because you're not there the whole time.
0: Um, I would say um, um, it's, I'm, a, I'm a discoverer. Like I, I feel like I'm an explorer. Yeah. And I can only imagine of the great explorers who left... Vasco da Gama, who, mm. who left uh, Lisbon mm. at Belém and then was on the boat going out into the unknown. So that exploratory journey of asking questions and what about this or what about that, I think three-dimensionally. So mm. um, what happened was... I did the business school for entrepreneurs in Hawaii with Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. the guy that wrote *Rich Dad Poor Dad*. Back in '93, it was about five years, four or five years before he wrote that book. Mm-hmm. And it was 16 days. We started at seven in the morning with our running teams, and we finished at two a.m. in our marketing teams. And <laughs> and it was a full-on 16-day uh, workshop. Brilliant, and it was a great foundation for when I started my company. And so what happened was there was an American guy there. Who was, they had, he had flown in people from all over the world to teach us about many things. Mm -hmm. And there was this American guy there who, who was a Texan who had been, uh, who was a professional. He, he had negotiated billion dollar deals. Mm -hmm. So $93 billion is a, a lot of money. And, and so he said to us in his workshop, you have to think in 3D. Like you got to think in 3D because 3D, like you got to turn that thing around. You got to look at it this way, look at it that way. <laughs> and so, you know, of the, the course, I really obviously like that because it's a it <laughs> yeah, did that really well. <laughs> appealed to me. Uh, something else happened later on in that day. I can't remember what, but I had a I had a very um, uh, big emotional. Is it? I've done rebirthing before many years ago, and it was a bit. Uh, so rebirthing, you have a lot of energy that expels from your body, and it happened to me something, some insight that I got, and I sent myself to my room, and I fell asleep, and I woke up at about ten o'clock at night, missed dinner, everything. It was, it was. I was really in a wash, and all this emotion, and this, in this whatever realization I had, and I walked outside of the my room in the hotel, and there was these people sitting in, um, in the deck chairs. Um, up next to the pool, and and they're looking up at the sky. And I thought, "What are you guys doing all in a line looking up in the in looking up at the sky?" And they said, "Oh, there's going to be an eclipse." I said, "Really?" You know, and so. I said, wow, that's really cool. And so I'm looking into the sky and then the, and it was one of those eclipses where, um, the moon goes in, the earth goes in front of the, the moon and it co- casts the, the soft shadow over, over the moon and, and you see it in a, in a different color. So I'm looking at that and I'm looking at the moon getting dark or oranger and oranger. And then all of a sudden the, I, Under that state, the bright uh, piercing white light of the reflection of the sun on the moon back at us softened. And all of a sudden, I could see the foreground. I could see the moon, and I could see the background. And I'm standing there looking out into space, and I could see the moon in 3D.
1: And
0: it was a super... Super monumental experience. Mm. Given what I was talking about during the day, mm. about in negotiations and thinking in 3D, mm. and I could start to see the dimension of the universe. I could start to feel... Oh, so this is where we are. There's the moon. There's the sun. There's the dim- There's the solar system. There's the- oh, right. I looked up at the stars, uh, and I could see. Oh, so you're three thousand years away, but you're only eight years away. So rather than seeing it as just all these dots in the sky, I could actually mm. look like. And when you go into one of those kind of kids, mm. and I go to magic mm. kind of stores, and all the lights are hanging down and different, you could start to see that. And so, my the way that I run my business and the way that I think about ideas mm. is mostly three-dimensional yeah. because two dimensions only exists in theory. And That's this right. is the problem I have with talking to financial guys <laughs> because they look at P&Ls, <laughs> right, and they look at balance sheets. Yeah. It's two-dimensional. Do they look at you? Do they look at the business? Do they look at the trajectory? Do they look at where you've come from? Do they look at the industry? No. They Mm -hmm. want to value you Mm -hmm. on what your EBITDA is today. Mm -hmm. They are two-dimensional thinkers.
1: You need to find one that isn't.
0: And so when we look at uh, talking to companies about potentially investing in Booktopia Mm -hmm. or just talking to, I need to know, are you a three-dimensional thinker? If you're not and you only think in theory, because... Point A to point B does not exist. Hmm. Point A to B to C doesn't exist because hmm. it, it can only – a shape only exists, a triangle like that can only exist in theory. Hmm. You need point D for it to exist. Hmm. There needs to be – and so everything is three-dimensional for me.
1: And have you looked into quantum physics?
0: Uh, uh, not really to uh, to the point of how that might apply to hmm. to business, should sure. I?
1: yeah. <laughs> You'll love there's a chapter in here, um Michael yeah. benny who was head of McKinsey. Have you met Michael? Mm-hmm. A fascinating man, fascinating man. I interviewed him twice. I was very fortunate. First time in New York mm-hmm. and the second time here. Several years ago. But he has a unique way of looking at the world. And he Michael on page sixty six, actually, mm-hmm. is where the interview is. Um Michael had a health crisis. He um, He was working for McKenzie. His background was law, uh, Rhodes Scholar, all of those things, still a career, and was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and given six months to live. Mm -hmm. And he did a lot of work with some other practitioners, then called, if you like, let's say, complementary practitioners um, like Ian Gawler in Melbourne and so on. And so he learnt to meditate, he learnt visualisation, he learnt a lot about himself, he did some personal transformation work, deep, deep work. Mm -hmm. In his office he has this little um, photo of what the, the specialist had written about his white cell count at the start of his treatment and what happened by the end of his treatment. So he's still very alive today. And he, um, the white cell count decreased in such a way that it was extraordinary. So he um, uh, you know, was able to heal himself fully within that six-month period, not just with complementary therapies, I have to say. He also had chemo, but he had a way of actually visualising that chemo was flushing out the cancer and, and dealing with that. So he's an extraordinary man. My point about all that is that after that he went back to McKinsey and he developed a program, a culture change program for organizations. And he did that around the world. And he did that using a lot of the personal learnings and transformation techniques that he'd um, been through pers- you know, in his own journey. So very fascinating stuff. And
0: how, so how does quantum, or
1: what? So where all that comes in, so, so he delved into quantum theory as well. And so he found a way to develop a program that was a mixture of, um, and reminded me when you were talking about your finance guy, the, the traditional, if you like, analysis type things that corporates need as well as then putting in some other transformative techniques. But in this particular interview, he has a way of looking at Um, before he does anything, before he works, before he writes a report. So he says the first thing he does is go to a quiet space. You have to get out of active beta mind into a quieter mind, the beta being the high-level brainwave pattern. And when you get into that quiet space... He sits there and allows a process of what he allows, freewheeling, if you like, without any need for concentration. And then he takes any fear about the outcome. So he intends what it is that he wants to create in the meeting, in the report that he's writing, whatever it is. So that's part of, he describes in great detail this process. If he needs to write a document, he goes into alpha-theta state, the lowered brainwave pattern states imagines the whole thing and just sits there with it it will start to reorganise itself and all the pieces will come together in a beautiful way and I can see the whole thing or a speech your comment about 3D reminded me of this mm-hmm. particular interview mm-hmm. that's how he works that's how he functions mm-hmm. he's just recently he's still a director of the see but he's not actively involved he's involved in a lot of charities and the hunger project and so on
0: interesting well that is a good place to end this mm-hmm. session So thank you, Jane Mara, and we will see you back very shortly. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au.